Hi, everyone, and welcome to Empowering the Opposition. My name is Lexi Wilson. I'm a licensed master social worker. And my name is Dr. Nafis Alam, and our topic today will be the correlation between effort and value. Lexi, you and I have been talking a little bit about as to whether or not we can want something that we don't work for, or if we only value things that take effort and time. And you wanted to get the conversation started with education and career. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting um, topic to really kind of delve into and discuss when thinking about career aspirations, about goals, um, going to college, um, those kind of long-term commitments that people make and the value that they place um, behind those goals and aspirations. Yeah, I think it's, it's difficult to appreciate something that you haven't worked for. And if it's something that's given to you without you putting in any effort whatsoever, uh, you're sort of compelled to believe that that which you have doesn't really hold much value. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that with, let's say, how rich kids see money. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah, my parents are giving giving me $2,000 a month, but like every kid gets that. No, you know, every kid Mm -hmm. doesn't get that. Most kids don't get that, in fact. So if something is just given to you, you're likely not to value it as much because you didn't have to work for it. Now, the work element that goes into it is what makes people believe that that what they're getting from it, the compensation that mm-hmm. they're getting from it, is worthwhile. And that feeling of worthwhile makes the whole process much more enjoyable because then when you go on vacation, that's been hard earned, let's say. Mm -hmm. And maybe you don't go on vacation all the time. Now you're able to enjoy that vacation more knowing that every second of that counts, that you put in work to to enjoy every second of it. Now, if we think of us in academia, for Mm -hmm. example, we get a lot more vacation time than most of our listeners (laughs) do, right? So, um, you know, we're off... Three months in the summer, one month in the winter time, mm-hmm. which you know obviously is time that we would be using uh, on our research. But essentially, we're on our own schedule, although mm-hmm. there are expectations for research. Being that we're on our own schedule, you could essentially say that we could just take a vacation for th- two or three months, go wherever we want to go, as mm-hmm. long as we're doing some work in regards to our research agenda. Mm-hmm. As a result, I don't know if it's the same case, same deal with you, but I feel like I don't appreciate my vacations now as much as I did when I worked in other industries. When you'd have to work 40 hour, 50 hour, 60 hour weeks, and you're just, you know, just killing yourself trying to, you know, make, make it to that vacation. And I think, um, you know, just thinking about the whole process of even education, right? Like, can you imagine if he's of like, I were to just hand you a diploma that says you just earned a doctorate in astrophysics. <laughs> How would you feel? I would not feel like I've accomplished much <laughs> of anything at all. But you have the paper. I know. It has I your have name. The paper. Yeah, it does have my name on it. And of course, like immediately I would I would think to myself, <laughs> yeah, this is great. But like there, there's an element of putting in work to achieve something. Uh, which is how I feel about my social work degree, mm-hmm. in that I've learned a lot about social work, mental health, sports, mm-hmm. and you know all that stuff that that go into my research agenda and teaching philosophy. That that don't show up on that diploma or that degree. Yeah. Um, so when I look at my PhD in social welfare, social work, 
I don't just see what's written on there. I see all the hard work that mm-hmm. went into it. The I, ups and downs, oh, the yeah, struggles. Lots of downs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The tears, the, yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what I see. Now, if you were to get to give me a PhD in astrophysics, just because <laughs> we happen to talk about aliens literally every time we hang out, um, it, it would just, it, I mean, I would appreciate it. It would be something that I would definitely tell people that I've achieved, quote unquote. <laughs> But the fact that I don't know how I've achieved it means that I would never believe that I have achieved it. Mm -hmm. And we see this with a lot of people who, even after they've graduated, people who are a lot more humble than myself, still don't believe that they've they've achieved much at all. Because it's one of those... Like the imposter complex? It's Yeah, it is the imposter complex. And I've experienced this myself, and we talked about this, uh, you know, in the past... About how, like, the more you learn, the more you realize, realize that how little you know. Mm-hmm. And then once you get a doctorate degree or a master's degree, mm-hmm. you know, because it is a terminal degree practice-wise, and then you're awarded this degree, you're celebrated in front of people, and it's stated that you are the expert or an expert in mm-hmm. this field, and you're sitting there like expert huh am i really legit no, don't that, know anything yeah. about this yeah. i mean that's exactly how i felt i mean i graduated this year with my master's degree in social work and yeah it's so true like you i don't think we realize how many people around us don't feel like they um you know we're expected to know so much right and then once we go into any specific area of practice whether that be research therapy um you know any of the other different you know, or being in a hospital, any of those kind of things. Like there's just so much for you to learn and you're only taught so much, right? So we kind of come out feeling like, Ooh, I'm definitely not prepared, but I I have to figure it out one way or another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's the ultimate sign of education is the acknowledgement that we know nearly nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, it's, it's frightening to be thought of as an expert in your field when you already know that so little is known. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like while you're a student, you know, whether it's an elementary school or whether you're doing doctoral coursework, you're of the opinion that one of these days I'm going to learn something that is just going to be earth shattering. Groundbreaking. Right? Exactly. It's coming either today or tomorrow, next week, next mm-hmm. month. And then you graduate and you realize, wow, I am an expert and this is what an expert looks like, this is scary. This means Mm -hmm. that there is so much left to learn. There is so much left to give back to the growing body of, I was going to say academia, but really knowledge in general, right? And and it's frightening because you have that responsibility Mm -hmm. for being at that cutting edge. And it's always expected that you stay at that cutting edge Mm -hmm. because you need to stay up on literature and and everything that's going on in research. And yet you're you're still having to answer as though you know you have all the answers when mm-hmm. all you have are just more qualified questions. Yeah, really. As as you go throughout that process, like you're just realizing that everything that you've learned thus far is great, but there's so much more to be learned. Yeah. And and really thinking too on this topic of, you know, about the kind of the correlation between effort and time and value. I think all of us can say that when we've really worked very hard for something, whether that be a relationship or a career or or maybe you saved up all your dollars and pennies to buy a little um, iPod touch, <laughs> you know, when you're in middle school 
cycle like me, you know, you, you just save up all your money and you just value this thing so much more. And I think you take care of it better and, um, you invest in it rather than when something is, um, just sort of handed over to you or given to you. Like you really hold something to a higher standard, a higher value. And you're, and you hold yourself to that same value. I've noticed that myself with things that I've purchased as an adult versus things that were given to me as a child. I, how do you feel about that? Yeah. I think whenever something is given to you with no input on your end, that doesn't represent anything, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anything that you put work into like that iPod touch, you said, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. <iPod> touch. <laughs> That you saved up all your money to get. Like when you held it in your hand, I assume that it's just, it, it represented the hard work. It, re- it represented your ability to save. Yeah. And focus on a particular goal or a product in uh-huh. this example that, you know, you had your mind set on getting and you did what mm-hmm. you needed to do to get that product. Yeah. Now, if it was just given to you, then it's like, it, there's no representation. There's no work that went into it. You just got it. So the representation there is absent. But if we're going to empower the opposition, we also have to consider the the opposing viewpoints here. Is it possible that there are people out there who prefer not to do any work? This is a weird way of putting it. (laughs) For all the lazy people. Yeah, Yeah, there, there might be people out there who prefer to not do any work at all. And they value... Not that which they work for. Mm -hmm. But but, what is given to them. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if they have to work for something, they're eh about it. Yeah. Versus if they don't have to work for something, they're more willing to accept it. They feel Mm -hmm. more accomplished in that sense. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that, first example that comes to mind are people who have been attractive their entire lives. Mm, So if you're attractive your entire life, studies show, and obviously common sense shows, (laughs) that you're just going to be treated better. Mm. So much so that you get used to treating... I'm sorry. You get used to being treated better than your peers throughout the course of your life. Such that when you reach a point, let's say in the middle of high school, Mm. in the middle of college, where you have to show ability... where you have to show ability as opposed to just attractiveness to get Mm. what you need to get. Now you don't know how to value that. And now that you're being asked to do something to earn something as opposed to just being attractive, Mm. now you value it less because that's not what you're used to. Mm. It might depend on what you're used to. If you're used to being in a position Mm. where you have to earn love from your parents hopefully that's not the case but if you have to earn (laughs) toys from your parents right not love (laughs) love, toys from your parents or like grades from your teachers Mm -hmm. you know if that's the environment you've grown up in then maybe you value the process of earning something Mm -hmm. but if you've grown up in an environment where just because you're cute just because you're adorable just Mm -hmm. because you're attractive you're given things the moment you have to perform Mm -hmm. in order to attain you may feel out of place and thereby feel like this is not right for you. And I think another great thing to add that comes to mind is there have been definitely things that have been given to me that I value so much. And it's not what you would think. It's not anything very expensive um, or anything, you know, it's sometimes it's those things with sentimental value. I remember when I was, I was in elementary school and I remember um, my mom bringing home um, for Valentine's Day. She, she brought my sister and I these little silver, they were like these coins and they had like an angel on them. 
And um, she told us that these, you know, like represent our guardian angels and to keep them. And sadly, I don't know where it is. That makes me so sad. But I remember at that time, I was so moved by that. And even now, like I'm so moved by that one gift and I valued it so much and it had so much meaning for me. Um, And I didn't have to work for it. It it was given to me, Um, but it wasn't like an iPhone or like, you know, something larger or whatever. Like it was something that had a lot of personal value and significance. Yeah. Um, that was very impactful. Yeah. And, and you know, you're doing this, like you're empowering the opposition by mm-hmm. considering this argument. And indeed a lot of gifts can mean a lot despite you not having worked for it. And like, if you're just having a bad day or mm-hmm. if like, just like a random grandparent gives you something, a family heirloom mm-hmm. that you didn't necessarily earn, but it's yeah. just, you know, part of the family like these like gifts of any kind can stand out and be very valuable. So I think I think certainly there are merit-based accomplishments that carry a lot of weight, but there are also just non-merit-based mm-hmm. gifts and and things that you can get and achievements that you can have that still mean a great deal. You know, I mean even being a parent I assume would be a wonderful experience yeah. even though all you did was just have sex, you know, and like, you know. <laughs> I'm a lot. Right, exactly. <laughs> but like there's so much pride that parents feel or so I hear, I'm not a parent obviously. I would hope that parents feel pride even though they're they've only done what all of human history has done. So it's mm-hmm. not anything special. Mm-hmm. And I think too a lot of that probably has to do with like the next generation, right? Wanting better for your children, wanting the best. Um, but also that can, that can go another way. Like the first thing that popped into my mind was, so an an example of this that I'm thinking about is Lori Loughlin, the, um, actress from Full House and how she, you know, essentially paid off, um, her daughter's, um, you know, basically entrance into an Ivy league school and how, you know, she obviously her intentions, she wanted what was best for her daughter and she wanted, you know, her daughter to get something she did not earn, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it can also be, you know, used for things that aren't, aren't the yeah. most. And you know, her, I think her daughter tweeted something to the effect of like, you know, I think she was bragging about the fact that she's in such a great school having such a poor academic profile. So she was bragging about it. And the reason why she was bragging about it is for the same reason we've been talking about. Yeah. Is that if you're given something that you haven't earned, you think that everyone gets you it. You can flaunt it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, if I'm just going to get into Yale and USC and Harvard just because of who my parents are, mm-hmm. then I'm of the mindset that anyone can just go to Yale yeah. because of who their parents are. But not everyone's parents are my parents or mm-hmm. her parents more, more yeah. specifically. So, I mean, it, it certainly is a conversation to be had as to whether or not we can only appreciate things that we work for and whether or not we can truly, fully appreciate things that we don't have to work for. Mm-hmm. Yet, we're, we're open to both. We have to be able to achieve things and mm-hmm. see the fruits of our labor, labor uh, you know, come to fruition. But at the same time, we wouldn't really know love unless we were... You know, because can you imagine love, whether it's friendship love, mm-hmm. whether it's parents love, grandparents or, or, you know, significant other, where like every loving act is transactional. It's like, oh, so you did the dishes. So here's so I and need then, to do something else. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's so, not it doesn't come from a selfless place. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, this topic, I for me, it was it was really interesting to to sort of theorize about over the last few weeks. I mean, we've been sitting on this topic for a little uh, for a little while now. And this is a conversation that I don't think we've had yeah, outside of podcast yet. Yeah. But my feeling is that if there is a heaven and hell, right? If there is a heaven and mm-hmm. hell, I personally might believe that there is, might believe that I, that I reserve the right to change my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm saying if there is a heaven or hell, I actually believe for me, and I have to be careful how I say this because there are p- plenty of people out there suffering and struggling and things like that. But for me... I actually feel like I'm living in heaven right now. Mm. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is because I have to still work for the things that I want to Mm -hmm. achieve. But when I work for it, I get it. Mm. You know? Versus other people, some other people, who regardless of what they do, they just cannot achieve the dreams that they have set for themselves. But Mm. for me, whatever reason, call it luck more than anything because it's nothing that I did. It's the fact that if I put my mind to something, if I want to be an expert in something, if mm-hmm. I've never, uh, if I've never skateboarded in my life, and I mm-hmm. want to pick up a twenty mile an hour, you know, skateboard that is on one wheel, <laughs> and I put my mind to it, I'm an expert at it in two months, mm-hmm. and that kind of goes for anything and everything. Yeah, you know. So I just I feel like for me, this is what heaven would feel like now. The, the feedback that I've gotten from some of my students and some of the people that I've talked to about this is like, well, Nafis, you still have to work for it. How can it be heaven? And I'm like, that's exactly why it's heaven. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's heaven for me is because if I could just be good at theoretical physics, if I could just be good at skateboarding, if I could mm-hmm. just be good at football and everything that I just you know thought that I wanted to be good at, mm-hmm. it just wouldn't carry that much value for me. But the fact mm-hmm. that I can put in the work and I know for a fact that I'll become an expert in whatever it is that I'm putting in the work into, mm-hmm. which makes me sound very arrogant, but I'm just, I'm trying to be as mm-hmm. real as possible here. Like, if I know for a fact that I can be an expert in anything in two months, I can't imagine anything being better than this. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine, you know, anything being better than this that involves no effort at all. Like, if I didn't have mm-hmm. to put in these two months of, effort and learning and things like that it just wouldn't be as fruitful would you say that is because your idea of heaven is like juxtapositioned with your lows your you know those states in which you've experienced maybe you know really hellish times during you know during your life i think yeah what what would you say yeah i would say that juxtaposition plays a major role here because you can't appreciate the highs without the lows Mm -hmm. um and i can't i mean i've had some lows with the injuries that i've had but like i knew that it was just the dunning kruger effect which we've Mm -hmm. talked about you know where confidence grows faster than competence and you know if i didn't have those and if everything was just mellowed out evened out Mm -hmm. no accomplishment would mean much of anything at all Mm -hmm. but neither would any failure it would just be like whatever it would all just be very baseline you know yeah without the highs you're not able to really appreciate the lows and you know vice versa I think you know I'm at a time in my life where so much has changed you know there's just so many aspects of my life that are different Um, and one thing that I've been um, really kind of pondering a lot lately is this idea of suffering right there is so much suffering in the world and and we all do suffer to you know some extent or another at some point in our lives 
And one of the greatest and strangest things I've ever heard about suffering um, was learning to embrace the suffering. We are so pain averted in our you know, society as humans. We try to just run away from pain um, rather than fully embrace it and grapple with it and allow it to shape us um, and form us into you know, who we really are and who we're meant to be. And so that's one thing I've been thinking a lot about. Not for me, like I would not equate my current like life right now to be heavenly, but I, I would say I would equate it to embracing the ups and downs, being grateful for everything, every person in my life and really holding on to those little, little, you know, glimmers of, um, just joy and happiness every day and taking every day as it comes and also just embracing and loving the suffering too Mm. because that's what makes the highs so high yeah and and it's not a negative thing it it allows us to grow and and learn so much so if everyone loved you would you know what love is no yeah and same thing with hate if everyone hated you Mm -hmm. would you know what hate is no because it's just it's yeah. some of the some of the words and some of the emotions that we experience only exist in relation to other emotions or mm-hmm. other feelings, right? So, yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, I just got really excited. But yeah. um, I was just I saw this video the other day, and it was so like mind like mind boggling. And basically, um, this this guy was like, um, "I love people to love me, but I also love when people hate me." And he was like, do you know why? And he was like, when people say they love you, they don't always mean that they love you. But when people say they hate you, you know that they hate you. Yeah. And he's like, the problem is I turn my haters into my biggest fans. Um, and I just thought that was so powerful. I was yeah. like, yeah, that's so true. Like, you, you know when people say they hate you, they do. But you don't always know. Um, when people say they love you, if they do. Yeah, yeah. There's also an argument to be made for love and hate not being antonyms. Uh And that they're both very intense feelings. Yeah. But the opposite of both love and hate is indifference. Yes, yes, indifference. If like, if I hate you, then you're always on my mind. And I just want to like, you know, I just want to hurt you in however way I can. If I love you, you're always on my mind. I just want to love you however way I can. But if I'm indifferent, which is the opposite of both love and hate, Hate, I'm just like, I don't care what she's doing. I just don't, you know, I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know, so that puts it into perspective. I mean, this is not a video, but like if you were to put it into like, sort of like a drawing, love and hate would be right next to one another on the spectrum, Mm -hmm. but on the other side of the spectrum would be indifference. Mm -hmm. And to get from love to hate might not take as much work Mm -hmm. as it takes to go from indifference to hate Mm -hmm. or indifference to love. That's true because I feel like people, people can be drawn to love or hate more easily because they're they're so emotionally connected yeah. where indifference is emotionally disconnected mm-hmm. and and so it's easy to go across to those polar opposites rather than just disconnect from emotion altogether which is interesting i think i would rather have someone say they hate me than they're indifferent 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I don't think anyone's ever told me that they're You're indifferent. To me. Yeah, it's like, like I'd be like, what? They're completely insignificant to my life. I'm like, okay. Yeah. But this also calls into question the idea of whether or not it's it's kind of easy, well, relatively easy to get someone who loves you to hate your guts. Oh, for within sure. 24 hours. Oh, but yeah, you also, could. Yeah. But it's also easy. Yeah. To get someone who hates you to fall completely in love with you also in 24 or 40 hours. Okay, do you think that, do you think that is, which one do you think is easier? Oh, it's easier to get people that love you to hate you. That's yeah, much easier. Yeah, yeah, But you could also, because I've seen this happen, and I forget where the example came from, but it's an example where... This woman hates this man because of everything that he stands for. Mm -hmm. She's very much into like wealth distribution and he's like, you know, I want to keep my money all to myself. I want, you know, these are my assets. And so Mm -hmm. like he stands for everything that she doesn't stand for and she loads him. And then he does something so kind and nice for her. And then she finds herself not even going through the motion of the spectrum, but all of a sudden just falling deeply in love with him not going through the whole and like wow so he doesn't believe in all of these things but he would do something for me because like he would do something for me that which he wouldn't do for anybody else mm. and then it made her like fall in love with him so it's I probably think, the black and white the black and white thinking like yeah thinking that if people think this one thing then that is entirely and ultimately who they are when in reality we know people are so much deeper than oh that. yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely that's so interesting yeah, and and obviously it takes a lot more work. Yeah, to <laughs> just buy to, someone a big thing, a bouquet of flowers yeah. that hates your guts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot more work. I mean, this is where we talk about like whether what what do we value? What we don't have to work for, but what we do have to work for. Um, you know, we we might not value something where you know there's no value in someone hating you mm-hmm. who used to love you. Mm. But now, if you're able to convince someone who used to hate you to now love you, maybe that relationship means more to you mm. because there was a time when they didn't like you at all. At all. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. Dull. I think my mental health stuff is coming out right now as far as my flawed ways of thinking. Um, this is why I don't really like people that like me as much. <laughs> you just like people that hate, hate you. I do guts. because I'm like compelled with. Because you just want to win them over. I know. And people who, and then they'll change their mind. And then, maybe and then you're like, like, oh, I don't like you. Anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> What's wrong? I'm going to die alone. I know. It and, we're, and we're therapists, people. <laughs> no, so okay. True. No, I think, I think it, there's something to be said about that. Because I've noticed patterns in my life where people will value others when, when like, they, they need to work for them, right? They will value them more. Rather than if things are stable and, you know, stable in the friendship or whatever. But when, when things go awry and they need to like work or even in relation, like, even like, let's say in a relationship where someone needs to work for someone for a long period of time, like I've seen that where people will value you more. Right. But then sometimes you'll be like, after the person wins them over or whatever, then you know, then they'll just be like, yeah, I don't like you anymore. (laughs) It's so strange how the human mind works. I also think, you know, contribution is akin to investment, right? So if you're, if you're friends with somebody and you're always doing for them and Mm -hmm. you're telling them they don't have to do anything for you, 
they're not really invested yeah. because they're not contributing to the friendship. Yeah. And as a result, even if they want to like you, they really can't because they don't feel like they're contributing anything to the friendship. Yes. When you pull back a little bit and you let other people do some nice things for mm-hmm. you, they feel invested in the friendship or the relationship or yeah. whatever it is. They feel like, you know, they're, that they're, you know, fulfilling whatever needs to be fulfilled in that particular relationship and contributing to the relationship, mm-hmm. contributing to the f- friendship. And now they feel more invested. And it's been shown that people who are in friendships or relationships were not necessarily equal because yeah. like equal is a little difficult. But, but you know, people. there's a difference between someone who's giving their everything they're all and one person who's just not doing anything. Right, exactly. Right, so, and then when there's more equity there. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Any sort of investment helps to make the entire process a lot more personalized or maybe not, you know, maybe like this whole, you know, working for what you want thing is way overrated Mm -hmm. and it's much better not to work for what you get. It all depends on perspective, how you've grown up. Mm -hmm. Um, It depends on what your values are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I also think like, you know, there are parts of it that are sort of, genetic maybe Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not necessarily hereditary in that in the way that i'm sort of saying it but in like some people are just predisposed to you know being completely off as far as like you know what what whether or not they care yeah so uh there they might find themselves in situations where they only hover to or gravitate to uh things that they don't have to work for because Mm. they're just not they just don't they just don't want to yeah yeah and then others like myself, for example, I, I don't value something that I'm not going to have to work for. Mm, yeah. So like, you know, that astrophysics de- degree that you're going to give me. <laughs> is like, just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I do. I am expecting that. I, you know, I have Microsoft Word on a printer. Oh, upstairs. of course. But, um, but like, it's just, it's just not going to mean anything yeah. to me. And it really depends on the person. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Another thing um, or topic that I think about as we're discussing this is time, mm-hmm. right? The value of time, because ultimately money does not matter, um, you know, as far as like material possession doesn't matter. Our careers don't matter. The one thing that we can never get back or earn back is time. That is very, that is limited. Mm-hmm. And so I think about, you know, just how finite we are. Like we, only have a certain amount of time to live. We are only guaranteed, you know, we're not guaranteed anything. Like we're not guaranteed any amount of time here on this earth. And so I think about how special, how valuable our time is and where we place our time, right? Mm -hmm. Do we place our time um, entirely in our careers? Do we invest it into our friendships? Do we invest it into our relationships? Do we invest it in hobbies? Um, Because I think our time really shows what we value mm. in life um and the more time we invest into into these things allows us to value them more yeah at least that's what i would argue our life expectancy puts a certain sense of urgency to how we go about living our lives mm-hmm. um you know whether consciously or subconsciously we know that our time is limited i think the average lifespan is 77 78 around mm. there and we know that beyond just like life, like we, we know mm-hmm. that physical deterioration um, can begin as early as late 20s. 
Um, and, you know, physical deterioration is inevitable mm. as far as beginning in at least your mid to late 30s, thir- well, early to mid, mid 30s, mm-hmm. like you'll, you'll definitely, you'll lose a step, no yeah. doubt about it, right? Mm-hmm. You're, it, maybe even earlier. So that from a time perspective, you know that your abilities today are limited. Mm-hmm. But if that didn't exist. Let's say you can live forever mm-hmm. and be healthy forever and strong and intelligent forever. Then the sense of urgency is absent. And now you might see people who say, eh, I'll get my degree in, you know, in a yeah. hundred years or so. Yeah. It's no big deal. I have There's all the no time rush. in the world. Yeah, that's true. It's so weird because I think we have this paradox. We have, I think there's a part of us that are like, we're immortal. We're never going to die. We never want to think about our own death. Um, and then there's this other part of us that's like, okay, shit. Like I know that, you know, I only have so many years on this earth and that's what motivates me to do everything I can to be the best human I can be and to make the greatest impact that I can on others. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the element of time is very, is very interesting because just like you said, like it's the one thing that you can't compound. It's the only real currency. Yeah. Because money you can compound. Oh yeah, like, you, know, you can always and, earn money back. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, you can always, you know, if you lose it, you can gain it back, but not with time. Yeah, time is the one thing that really unifies us all. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we were to empower the opposition, though, we could make the argument that because we have so much time now versus mm-hmm. you know two or three centuries ago that's true <laughs> you know now maybe we can ease up maybe we don't have to have the sense of urgency that we do now and i think we have and i and i think that's a great great point because i mean if you were to look back centuries ago you know life expectancy was pretty dang low you know i'm 24 i would be an old maiden who's not married and has kids you know yeah. like i I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't obviously be expected to like go, go to school or to pursue an education or do the things, you know, that I'm currently doing. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that's a very, very real thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if time was infinite, then there would be no sense of urgency and maybe people would be, you know, less focused. People would be motivated, like unmotivated and lazy, I feel like. Or if we were to empower the opposition, it could be the opposite. If I had forever to live yeah i can tell you or i i I can tell you what i would hope i would do of course like you know (laughs) i would hope because you know i'm 36 now uh and i know that i'm gonna probably die in another 41 years right statistically speaking not not that i know (laughs) exactly he's planned out the right exactly yeah i have my retirement ready to go but um but being that I have 40 years, I know that I have to make an impact in the social sciences, right? But if I could live to be, I don't know, a thousand years, as let's, let's just use round numbers. I'm not going to live to be 100, but let's imagine that I will, yeah. right? Let's say instead of living 100 years, I'll live 1,000 years. Then I could really start thinking to myself and say, well, I could use this century to work in the social sciences and next century I'll work in the physical yeah. sciences and in the following century mm-hmm. I'll fuse them together. And, you know, I could do so many different things, mm-hmm. but it's it's all too easy for me to say, well, this is what I would do if I had all the time in the world Yeah, because I'm in a position where I don't have all the time in the world. And I think for those who... I, I mean, it may be just a wash too. I think for those who are motivated um, and have a lot of grit and desire and passion in life, give, being the given the gift of a thousand years, you could do so much mm-hmm. with that, right? 
But or so sa- little. <laughs> yeah, or so little. <laughs> but the same is true for 80 years, 100 years. You exactly. can do so much or so little. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is true. You can do so much or so little. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Dr. Nafis Alam. And I'm Lexi Wilson. I'm a licensed master social worker. This has been Empowering the Opposition. See you next time. Yeah.